theme for this year's conference is Lote Teachers Seeing the Needs, Making a Difference. In selecting tonight's keynote speaker, we wanted to illustrate that theme, and we chose Therese Sullivan Cacavalli. <laughs> a native of New York State, which I didn't know until this summer, Terry received her Certificat d'études Françaises from the Université de Neuchâtel. She has a dual BA in French and elementary education from SUNY Cortland. She received her MA um, from Middlebury College and her DEA in linguistics from the Université de Franche-Comté. She began her foreign language teaching career in Holliston, Massachusetts, defecting from New York State, and she began one of the first French immersion programs in the United States. She's now in her 31st year of service in the Holliston, Massachusetts public school system, where she is a high school teacher of French AP and the K-12 um, World Languages Coordinator. Terry's the immediate past president of NEL, the National Network for Early Language Learning, and is a frequent presenter at state, <coughs> regional, and national conferences, as well as NYSEFELT's Summer Institute, Colloquium, and Annual Conference. It's my pleasure to introduce to you our keynote speaker and our friend, Terry Kakavali. <laughs> Hi there. I just have to tell you how thrilled I am to be here at Nicefelt this year. I'm from Elmira, Vicki Mike's hometown. There you go, Elmira, New York. <laughs> and it is no, I know you've seen this, wait till the cows come home. As long as you're not calling me La Vache at the end of the evening, <laughs> that would be okay with me. Now, people in my department, I, I say, soy profesora de francés, pero entiendo uh, más y más español y algún día podré hablar con ustedes. <laughs> and my friend Patricia Martinez de la Vega Mancia from SUNY Cortland is right there. Um, when I was at Cortland State, we had a lot of friends, I told Becky and Michael Klein this, uh, from, you know, friends who would talk like this and say, my name is Frankie Tolan, I'm from 233rd and Broadway, <laughs> the Bronx. <laughs> and they would sing to us, Elmira, Elmira, they bring the cows home in Elmira. <laughs> and that was like our song for four years with the kids in the Bronx making fun of us. So I just have to say, Vicki, I'm so proud to be in your company. Congratulations once again. One of my famous stories from foreign language before I start was the summer I went to Tours, France. Someone called my home in Elmira, New York, and you got to know Elmira to be in Elmira, right, Vicki? Somebody called my home and said, are you from Elmira too? There you go. Tawanda, where? Horsets? Okay, yep. We were, somebody called my home and said, is Terry there? And my brother said, no, she's not. And they said, I want her to babysit. And he said, she's in France. Where is she? She's in Tours. And the woman said, I know she's on a tour, but where is she? <laughs> it, was, it was, she's in Tours, France. Yes, I know she's touring France, but where is she? And I said, you know, we invented who's on first in my family, <laughs> 856 Grove Street. <laughs> So, here you go, here's the speech. Good evening, and this is, this is the portal stuff, that's it. Good evening, and thank you so much for being here to celebrate, I can't believe, 92 years of NYSEFA. Congratulations. Well, I'd like to start by thanking my friend Nancy, conference chair, Sue Barnes, NYSEFL president, and my brother John Carlino, executive director, and the entire conference committee for their outstanding work in preparing such a wonderful conference for those of us from New York and beyond. 
Although I am originally from Elmira, New York, I now fit semi-neatly. I, I never really fit neatly into anything, if you know me. There you go. Uh, but semi-neatly into that beyond category. In fact, if you ask my family and close friends, they would all tell you that I'm often in the range of beyond the beyond. I Don't laugh. I am a responsible, responsible practitioner of carpe diem, something I learned from my mother. And the mosaic of my life is derived from a million single episodes of having seized the day. I live and work in Massachusetts beyond the borders of New York State, but spend my summer vacations in beautiful upstate New York on Kinesis Lake, where my mother once had her home. My dad currently lives in Rome, New York, and I visit him frequently. As I was returning from New York State just the other day, <laughs> another moment waiting to be seized presented itself to me. I happened to pass under a span bridge across the New York State Thruway near mile marker 213 heading eastbound. As I looked into my rearview mirror, I saw, this is not my photo, this was on Google, but it's what I saw. To my amazement, a whole herd of cows, can you see the cows? Crossing over, lumbering over the bridge with a yappy little dog leading them on. As I continued to try to focus moving 70 miles eastward <laughs> per hour, I could not help but notice and that I had to look behind me, noting to myself all of the following. A, whew, Dorothy, we are definitely not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> B, there's going to be some hamburger cookout in the old town tonight. <laughs> and C, the cows are coming home. Didn't mom and dad always warn us about waiting till the cows came home? <laughs> Risking immediate detection as an escaped inmate from the local asylum, I hastily, I really did, I called 911. You know, my mother used to call me Snoop the Detective because I always had to know what was going on. I called 911 and reported the incident, prepared to tell the operator that this was not a crank phone call. She answered the phone saying, Herkimer County 911, what is the nature of your emergency? <laughs> I said, well, there's no present emergency, but I just passed a whole flock of cows walking over a throughway bridge, and if a truck comes by, this highway is going to be hamburger heaven. <laughs> to my amazement, she started laughing. She laughed out loud and subsequently stated, ma'am, that is a cattle crossing. Across the throughway? Have you, have you ever seen this? Have you ever seen cattle crossing? Is anyone from Herkimer? <laughs> okay. Uh, across the throughway, I gasped. Yes, she reported that New York State has come a long way in melding farm life and technology. <laughs> and then she asked me my name. Okay, so I thought for a split second, and then I said to her, and I'm on tape all this time, I said, after making a complete jackass of myself, am I really required to tell you my name? <laughs> I guess I have been out of state way too long. At any rate, cows or no cows, I am thrilled to be here and thrilled that you have asked me to talk about what I absolutely love best, making a difference in the lives of young people through exposing them to second languages and cultures. My interest in foreign language began over 50 years ago as I sat one summer's day reading with my mother. She herself had attended elementary school in Arlington, New Jersey, where a certain Miss Frances McGuire had introduced my mother to the French language in first grade in the year 1936. The book she was given by her teacher was called Jacques et Marie, Deux enfants de Paris, and contained about 20 pages. 
In it, I found words I had never seen before, words that took on a life of their own, words ominously suspended in space over the familiar English words that I could read there on the page. I asked my mom what they were, and she answered, French. That day, I began to learn to yearn to speak French, to be French, to love French, and to promote French. And that day is still today. Over the course of some 50 summers since that day, I have participated in foreign languages institu institutes from Tour France through Ames, Iowa, and Nell to Santa Barbara, California. I have traveled through all the countries of Western Europe. I have organized summer institutes for members of MAFLA and Nell. I have eaten fondue in a chalet in Neuchâtel, Switzerland. And I spent the night on a mountaintop resort in Rocher de Ney when my mother, my sister, and I missed the last cog railway <laughs> for the night and had to speak from our hearts in English and French to Swiss Germans who understood neither language in an effort to simply survive the elements in the Alps. I have played the guitar in the subways of Paris and on the steps of Montmartre. I have sung folk songs at a workers' festival in Besançon. I played the guitar for a wedding in Grey et Charnay. I have had a private tour of the Vatican apartments. I celebrated my best friend's birthday in the glow of Mont Saint-Michel. I have sunned on the beach in San Sebastian, Spain, as my sister tried her Spanish out on the natives. I have confessed my sins, many sins, to an Italian priest in Venice who understood none of my words but heard the language of my heart and my soul. I have visited the Carmelite convent in Lisieux, France, Thérèse, where I made a pilgrimage to keep a promise to a dying Frenchman that we would visit that shrine together and I have held in my heart for 30 years the promise of someday becoming a great teacher of French, a promise made to me that day by an old French priest I encountered along my way in that pilgrimage, a trip made, ladies and gentlemen, in 1976 when I was teaching elementary school in Shrewsbury, Vermont, and had never even thought about becoming a French teacher thought I always wanted to do elementary. I had no plans to become a French teacher. All of this I have done in the summers of my life, and all of this I owe to having learned to speak another language. In the summers of my life, I have reaped the rewards of 34 consecutive years of teaching. I have digested theory. I have reflected upon practice. I have actively sought to make more of myself than what I ever could have been had I never learned to speak another language. I have seen all, all, 100% of my students succeed one by one. I have learned that what I teach is not French and never has been French, but rather is life taught in French. I teach existentialism. I teach the American electional process, the, the, the election process, the, the democratic way. We talk about everything. Before Obama was elected, my students were coming in. Their homework every night was listen to the debate. 
And we did so much civics in my French class that the superintendent of school said, your kids are talking more about the election than are the kids in social studies. Talk about connections. And you know what I taught them? We never, never once said, who are you going to vote for? But I said, you look at those debates, and you come into this class, and I have one essential question for you. And they wrote down everything they could think of that went on during the debates. And one by one, we took their sheets of paper and said, is this something the president controls, or is it controlled by the House and Senate? House and Senate. House and Senate. House and Senate. House and Senate. President. House and Senate. House and Senate. House and Senate. President. My kids walked away from their AP French experience last year with a beautiful understanding of what debates are and how uh, esoteric they can be and how the democratic process really works. Tout en français. It was wonderful. In the summer of 2005, celebrating the Year of Languages, I was given the distinct honor of being named a distinguished alumna from mine and Patty's alma mater, SUNY Cortland. At the, time, at the time I received that award, I stated this, that none of us is ever any more or less distinguished than are the content and the purpose of the last act of kindness or unkindness he or she has directed at another human being. How many of us have seen, oh, distinguish this, distinguish that, and then boom, you know? Takes one unkind word, one stupid act for someone who thinks they might be distinguished. I don't consider myself distinguished. I have the distinguished honor of being here and doing what I do in my life helping kids because it is, as John said, it's a treasure to help kids discover that learning another language is something that is worth doing. Many of us here present reach the status, or may all of us here present, reach the status of becoming distinguished in the ways that we interact with one another and in the ways we see and try to make a difference in the lives of our students. Students like Matthias, one of my very first French immersion students who entered the program in the fall of 79. Soon in his school career, it became apparent to all of those working with him that he was learning disabled. He was diagnosed with severe dyslexia. Perhaps it was my own naivete as a 27-year-old teacher. Perhaps it was that I had fallen in love with the five-year-old man and his wonderful family. But when it came time to decide whether or not he was a good candidate for staying in our immersion program, I voted yes. I knew enough about disabilities to know that they are simply not life-threatening diseases with terminal outcomes. I worked with Matthias over the course of many a summer day and many a winter night, tutoring him, and never for money, and fostering his own self-esteem. His family sent him to live for a summer in France with a family whose child they had welcomed to their home years before. He became the poster child for proving that languages are made to be spoken and that being able to analyze grammar is only one aspect of language proficiency. Thank you. He struggled to succeed, but in the end, he did succeed. His success in learning to speak French served as a springboard to success in other areas. He decided to major in organic chemistry, a dyslexic child. And this young man, about whom so many had said he can't, proved to the entire world that he could. He completed his doctoral degree at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, his postdoctoral research for Pfizer at UC Irvine. He is now a full professor and a distinguished professor of organic chemistry at the University of Vermont. <laughs> My
seeing the needs, making a difference. His need was to be fostered and encouraged in learning to compensate for a severe learning disability. The difference that learning a second language has made in his life is now evidenced in the eyes of his newborn daughter, to whom he and his wife Amy have given the French name of Imaline. Two months old. Students like Ainsley, who has a language-based learning disability and took the challenge to learn French with me in grades 7 through 9. Having survived quite well in my total immersion environment, she came to me when she was in 10th grade and told me that she thought she needed to abandon French instruction after all. I questioned her about her reasons for feeling it was time to leave the class after she had met with so much success, and she replied that in my class, when all the instruction was given in French, it was, this was a traditional class, not an immersion classroom. When all instruction was given in the target language, it was hard at first, but then her brain eventually got used to it. In 10th grade, when a different teacher started teaching French in English, she had a much more difficult time anchoring her thinking, as jumping constantly between the two languages was much more difficult for her than was being immersed in one language for the entire period. She told me, my language-disabled brain can do one language or the other, Madame Kakabali, but I cannot jump back and forth between both. This is an action research subject for the taking, and somebody needs to take it. Learning disabled children do better in total immersion classrooms. In 1995, the well-known Hart and Risley study proposed that there does exist a 30 million word deficit experienced by poor students in our nation by the time they reached the age of three. Validating Piaget's own predictions of the 1970s, they found that socioeconomic status is a huge indicator of success in this country, and that those children born into poor families actually hear 40 million fewer words spoken to them by the time they reach fourth grade than do their higher socioeconomic counterparts. Seeing the needs, making the difference. Do you realize that we could all help to overcome this enormous deficit in our children's lives if only we work consistently to provide all students with second language instruction and scaffolding of the connections between languages in ways that would improve every child's overall vocabulary? Foreign language teachers have the unique opportunity to do just that, when their work is respected and valued by the greater educational community. Did you know that foreign language learning, according to the best and latest research, and I'm talking about Ellen Bialystok, among others, Kenji Hakuta, is not at all a linguistic task, but rather a cognitive task? Learning a second language is not about learning words, but is rather an exercise in problem solving. Learning to label the world around us and our communities in it using a different system of thinking, a different system of communicating. Why is it then that students who learn a second language beginning at an early age really do seem to develop better native language vocabulary than those who do not? Because, as we stated, learning a second language, when that language is used as the vehicle of daily instruction, is a great exercise in problem solving. Once students begin to figure out the target language, these enhanced problem-solving strategies can be transferred to other areas, such as vocabulary development. What is figuring out the meaning of a new word if not a problem to be solved? This, of course, begs the question of how we approach the teaching of foreign languages in this country. 
I was thrilled to see Actful finally take a stand on the age-old dispute of whether or not to teach in the target language. If you saw Janine Erickson's message to the profession in August 2009, to me this is a no-brainer. If we use English to teach the target language, aren't we solving the problem for them? What problem is there for them to solve if they're not listening to the target language? Actful President Janine Erickson in her August 2009 message to the profession states the following. Learning a foreign language in English rather than in the language itself has been compared to learning how to swim without water. Bravo Janine and bravo Actful and Tony Tyson who believes the same thing for finally taking a stand and coaxing that elephant right off the table. We often look for ways to convince our administrators that the instruction we are offering to students in our foreign language classrooms is building better cognitive ability and creative and flexible thinking skills. These benefits, ladies and gentlemen, can only be derived when we ask our students to use the target language to figure out problems. And this can only happen in classrooms where they are immersed in the target language. As the French say, ce n'est pas sorcier. It isn't rocket science. In an article appearing in the New York Times on October 6th, just days ago, Benedict Carey reports that psychological researchers are now finding correlations between the experience of seeing or listening to things that just don't make sense and the overall sharpening of the human intellect. Seeing a sign like this on the highway, what's missing, caution, slippery zone, stop. Wouldn't it be wonderful if someday these same researchers who are pointing to the fact that a surprise element like listening to the poem Jabberwocky, you know, that doesn't make sense is something that makes gray matter increases in the brain. Wouldn't it be great if these same researchers pointed to elementary foreign language instruction, which sounds just like Jabberwocky when it's done all in the target language, as a means to this end? How great would that be? Foreign language teachers must celebrate the right of all students to learn a second language, not only students on the upper levels of the cognitive ladder. Let's think of our low-performing students. Why is it still that some in our profession, in our profession, insist on promulgating the assumption that only the best and brightest are candidates for foreign language learning when it is the underachievers among them who have the most to gain by exposure to a second language as it is they who have the most room to grow cognitively? If indeed second language learning leads to further cognitive development, then why don't we value cognitive development in all of our students? How many times over the course of the past 10 years have we heard the stories of ESL students who have risen to the top of their graduating class within three or four short years? And why do we assume that although every non-English speaking child in this country should have enough cognitive ability to learn to speak English, there are English speakers among us who cannot learn to speak a second language. It's nonsensical. It is irrational. It doesn't make sense. In reference to which ESL student has anyone ever heard a school administrator or a special educator state, two languages are too many for this child, so we need to stop all English instruction immediately. Have you ever heard anyone say that? And you know why? Because everyone can learn to speak a second language. There are amazing stories out there of developmentally challenged individuals who happen to also be bilingual. I know this for a fact. I cared for one such individual on a flight from California to Boston several years ago. 
His name is Wilfredo Rivera. He has Down syndrome and he travels regularly from coast to coast to spend time with each of his sisters, one of whom is a housewife in California and the other of whom is a professor at MIT in Boston. And he speaks English and Spanish as the circumstances dictate. The key to having all children benefit from second language instruction involves an early startup. Why? First of all, it simply takes a very long time to become functionally fluent in another language. If we make promises of intermediate to advanced levels of proficiency as outcomes of instruction and do not begin this instruction until seventh or eighth grade, we risk losing that battle before we begin. But even more importantly, we must note the connections between early language learning and the development of phonological awareness in one's own language. Learning foreign words at an early age allows children to begin to phonologically segment their own language much faster. Hearing a foreign word such as bibliothèque in the middle of a stream of, a familiar, English, of familiar English words makes a child pay attention to that word. And we've seen this over and over again in our early startup. Um, paying more attention to what sounds different allows him or her to more quickly develop the ability to segment a sentence or a stream of sounds, phonological sounds, into individual words that have meaning. The ability to segment sentences into words and words into individual sounds is one of the keys to early success with reading. I'm going to illustrate that for you. When my kids were young, my husband would go out. We lived on the second story of an apartment, second floor apartment in a house, and he'd go out the back door, and we'd keep the bathroom door open. He'd say, Boston accent, are you ready for this? Becky, you said my accent. This is Frank. Bye-bye, kids. I'm going to the burger barn. <laughs> That's what Frank would say. Going to the burger barn. Got to go to work. And the kids would go, bye, Daddy. And then they would say, da-da, why back? And then they'd say, da-da, be right back. And then they'd say, Daddy will be right back. And then Daddy will be right back. That is phonological segmentation. Throwing foreign words into a mix of English words makes kids pay attention to what they've never heard before, and that facilitates that process of phonological segmentation, which is a key to early language literacy. So it's amazing. Another example, in our immersion program, a little girl came home uh, two years ago and told her mother she hated school, French immersion kindergarten. And her mother said, honey, why do you hate school? She said, because every day we're playing, and I'm playing in the blocks or doing Legos, and the teacher says, and her mother said, excuse me? And she said, the teacher says, and then the mother said, honey, what is she saying? And she said, and then a week later, it was, she's still saying it, mom. What is she saying? She's saying, what is she saying? And then it was, and then it was, or bleu. Venez sur le tapis bleu. Come on to the blue rock. Okay? Those are the words the teacher used. That's a direct quote. At the end of four weeks in a kindergarten immersion program, the little girl came home and had a eureka moment and said, I get it! <laughs> Venez sur le tapis bleu! I get it! She's telling us to go to the blue rock, but I still hate school because I want to stay in the blocks. <laughs> it happens. You need to take a leap of faith that it can happen. I have taught kindergarten. I have taught first grade to kids who don't know any of the language. I have started in middle school in seventh grade. I have been where you are. I did it and my kids could understand French 
By the end of eighth grade, they were speaking only in French to me. Those kids joined our immersion kids at the high school level, and they all graduated with fours and fives on the AP exam because they were given the input they needed to become proficient. Seeing the needs, making the difference. Foreign language teachers with their heightened awareness of cross-cultural differences can also be invaluable to ESL teachers in their schools. Imagine this scenario, one I recently encountered while teaching a methods seminar in Boston, at Boston University. Boston has recently experienced an influx of population from Ethiopia and Eritrea, two East African nations. Elementary school teachers in the Boston public schools have decried the fact that these immigrant children do not seem to understand how to sit still on the rug and listen to stories being read aloud. And God forbid, they try on a regular basis to escape from the classroom. And what's up with this? Can you, my language and culture colleagues, tell me what's wrong with this picture? First of all, these are children from nomadic tribes. They wander. <laughs> That's what they do. Okay. No wonder they love to explore the building. Remember the expression, it takes a village to raise a child? They live that expression in those countries. Secondly, nomadic tribes do not sit on rugs and listen to stories read from books made of paper. What do they do? Tell me what they do. They tell stories. They have oral traditions. Yes, indeed. And they certainly do not read stories in books about Clifford the Big Red Dog, who lives in an American house. Okay, what's the connection there? Are dogs allowed in Muslim homes? No, they are not. So you have a Muslim child, okay, from Ethiopia, a wanderer, who starts leaving the classroom, and the teacher is saying, God, you know, it's just not working for my literacy program. <laughs> well, guess what, guys? Literacy comes in different ways. Do you know that for Mexican children, literacy doesn't come with mothers reading stories aloud. Literacy comes through religious experiences for Mexican children. Did you know that for Israeli children, parents didn't read aloud to children until Sandra Benziv did a doctoral study on reading aloud to children in the year 2000 and then started to talk to Israeli parents. But guess what? Israeli children are among the best educated and most literate on the face of the earth. So how does it happen? There are so many problems for us to solve as a profession. We have just started to you know, reach the tip of the iceberg in what literacy is and how it is gained. There are multiple portals to literacy, and we need to help each other figure out how to make children literate. The cross-cultural knowledge of our foreign language teachers can be used to make a huge difference in the life of our, lives of our ESL. Heritage language learners are another avenue for us to explore. It is absolutely wrong, I will say this, undemocratic to take heritage language learners and say you already speak another language, you don't need a foreign language instruction. You don't need that. They are among the best of our learners because they know how to learn. They're already negotiating a language at home, they're learning to negotiate English. Why exclude them from our foreign language classrooms? Allowing heritage speakers to participate in foreign language instruction as well as instruction geared at English language is fundamental to democratic educational values. Fostering maximum growth in our children and allowing each to become, you can say it with me, all he is capable of being. Does that sound familiar? Yes, it's the motto of the State University of New York. This is the motto 
of the New York State University system. Seeing the needs, making the difference. Did you know that after the devastating winter storms that pummeled France in 1999, the avenues of Versailles were once again planted with trees bought by French students in the United States? That graduates from East Lansing, East Grand Rapids, Michigan have volunteered their time year after year translating for Doctors Without Borders on trips to South America. That juniors and seniors in my own district's French immersion program volunteer their time tutoring once a week some of our youngest French immersion students who have trouble with literacy just to help out. Seeing the needs, making a difference, it's who we are as foreign language teachers. After the tragic circumstances of 9-11 rocked our country, foreign language professionals all over the country stood up to speak in defense of children learning all types of languages. Congratulate yourselves. While teachers of Arabic in California went underground, went underground to protect themselves and their families, teachers of French and Spanish in the Northeast defended the rights of those same teachers in California to be here in this country and to promote the development of a multicultural society. While the ignorant in our midst renamed French fries Freedom Fries, foreign language teachers continued to make the difference every day in the lives of children who were open to learning about other cultures and the ways that celebrated the differences among us while condemning random acts of violence based upon cultural misconceptions and a true failure to communicate. Where would I be now? without those teachers in my life who once saw a need and decided to make a difference. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I am one of the children in the Hart and Risley study. My parents were divorced, Catholic parents divorced in 1960 in the state of New York. Google it. There were probably 10. <laughs> Not kidding. You know? I called the Catholic school nuns les bonnes sœurs qui n'étaient pas si bonnes. <laughs> the good sisters who were not always as good, excuse me. <laughs> but, you know, oh, these children divorced. These are the divorced children. My mother worked. My father wasn't home. My God bless my father. He's 82 years old and a recovering alcoholic who is so proud of that fact and counsels people in Rome, New York, and Herkimer every day of his life. He's wonderful. But you know what? He couldn't be there. We didn't have the bedtime stories. We didn't have the rich flow of vocabulary at home. It is foreign language that educated me. Without my first French teacher, who after I left that high school took it upon herself to contact my spinster great-aunt, my father's aunt, and ask if I might want to consider joining a summer trip to Tour, France. Not to Tour, France, to Tour in France. Without my college professor of French, Dr. Kathy Porter, current president of the Modern Language Association, who, saw, who accepted, by the way, the very first presentation on early language learning is going to be facilitated by moi and done by Marty Abbott of Actful and Rita Oleksak and Marilyn Redmond and Marsha Rosenbush, a panel of the four horsewomen going to MLA to talk about early language learning in December. It's wonderful. Without um, who, Kathy Lewis, who decided to immerse all of us at SUNY Cortland in French just because her instincts told her that was the way to teach and changed our lives with not one word of English spoken across two semesters of college study in the 1970s. Without Hazel Kramer, my first professor of French at SUNY Cortland, who notified my sister Maureen, also a French teacher, that there was something called a foreign language immersion program in Plattsburgh, New York, and that I should be sure to visit that program before I left on my Fulbright year in the 
fall of 78. Without Dr. Bill Derrick, the director of that program, alive today, I spoke with him the other night, whose personal motivation, professional leadership, and fortitude made it one of the premier foreign language immersion programs in the country. Without Sam Placentino, former superintendent of the Holliston, Massachusetts schools, who heard Bill Derrick speak someplace in Indiana, saw an opportunity in the making and decided to take a risk on me, being the first dis, you know, French immersion teacher and starting a district-wide program in the fall of 79. And as Nancy said, 30 years of immersion education in my district. Without Brad Jackson, our current superintendent, who just last week stood up for foreign language immersion education by telling a Boston Globe reporter that there is something other than standardized testing to take into account when educating the whole child. How about that? <laughs> Without my best friend in the world, Nancy Pasigi, whose constant use of the phrase, je vais à la bibliothèque, <laughs> is a reminder of the fact that languages are learned to be spoken. Of course, Nancy uses that at any old time of the day. <laughs> Without the many talented teachers with whom I have had the pleasure of working each and every day. Without the students, I have helped to negotiate their way through life en français. These people have made the difference in my life. In closing, finally, I leave you all with this question. Here it is. What difference will you make? Will you recognize the need for all learners to have in their repertoire a second lens for observing, a second way of thinking, a second skin for becoming something bigger than themselves? Several years ago, I read the college essay of one of my former French immersion students. She stated that in learning a second language, she had attended school for 13 years, K through 12, during which time she had doubled as a person with double the perspective on the world and double the ability to express her opinions and beliefs about this great world of ours. Will you join in our crusade? Who will be strong and stand with me? Beyond the multiple barricades, is there a world you long to see? Will you respond to the needs of our 21st century learners and make a difference that can only be made through real human interaction? Je vous lance le défi. I challenge all of you to do just this in thanking you for all you have already given to the children whose lives you have touched in countless ways. Come on, let's make mom and dad proud. Let's stop waiting for the proverbial cows to come home. Unless you are from Herkimer, New York, in which case they may be your cows. <laughs> and let's take the lead in an effort to make a difference for all of our students. Foreign language teachers are, as Tony has told us a thousand times, at the core of a multicultural curriculum. As I have long stated, you can learn to speak, read, and write a language like a native without truly understanding its associative cultures. But you can never, and this comes from Becky Klein's speech at Mathler right after 9-11, you can never understand another culture like a native without speaking its language fluently. The 21st century is upon us. The time for better communication is now. And as for this, upstate New York country girl, she is simply not going to wait for those cows to come home. Thank you so much. <laughs>